Hello my friends, welcome back to Garda Goes Geek. On today's episode, I'm going to be doing something a bit different. Um, not a full review, necessarily, but I'm going to review the story mode um, for Mortal Kombat 1, uh, which is obviously recently released. Um, obviously, based on my previous episode, you know I'm a big fan of this series, and especially the lore that it holds in. So I thought I'd cover what the story actually is and uh, what my thoughts on it are and what it could mean for the future of the series. It's going to be a spoiler discussion as well, so if you are, don't care about spoilers or, you know, then feel free to join me. Otherwise, you might want to skip this one for a bit. This episode and many others that will likely follow in the next coming months was recorded during the Writers Guild of America and SAG-AFTRA strike in America. Now, I just want to put a quick note at the beginning of this and any other um, episodes that are recorded during the strike, just to say that while I will not be boycotting my channel or stopping content um, unless the unions call for it, I will be putting this on any new reviews or any new episodes. The items that I talk about would not exist without the talent behind them, whether that is writers, directors, producers, or actors. And especially, as you may have noticed in previous episodes, some of the things I talk about the most, uh, besides, you know, um, direction and theming, is writing and the character work. They tend to be, for me, some of the strongest things of all of these fictions and are the reasons why I'm interested in the fandoms that I am. I am interested because of the actors involved, because of the performances that they put out, because of the strength of the writing, how well it unifies the themes of the story, how well it gets everything across. And as a result, this channel and myself completely support both strikes. I want the um, actors, you know, regardless of any merit of their work, whether whether I think that a film is good or bad, is nothing compared to how well they should be paid for that work. They did a job, they should get the money. Not the people at the top, not the studio heads, not the shareholders. The people who made the product should get the money for that product. And as we are now in an age where a lot of things are being taken off of streaming services and removed wholesale from any form of digital marketplace, the chance of residual streaming rights, of things becoming cult hits and becoming um, you know, sensations decades down the line is beginning to vanish. And I hope that these strikes manage to light the fire in Hollywood that changes things like that. This disclaimer will be on every episode published during the strike, as I've said, whether it is a long-form episode or a review. However, should you wish to skip it, it will be slightly under three minutes long, and you will be able to do that in the future. However, I hope you would agree with me that it is necessary in these times. 
So yes, as I said, spoilers uh, coming up for both Mortal Kombat 1 and also Mortal Kombat 11, um, and specifically the aftermath story of that. Now, for anyone who hasn't uh, listened to my previous Mortal Kombat podcast, obviously I'm a huge fan of the franchise. I think the lore in the franchise is very, very interesting. There's a lot of very cool characters, some quite cool concepts. And I think that it's a franchise that deserves to be taken seriously. And I think it has some untapped potential. I think there's a lot of possibility there to develop it as a franchise. Now, I mentioned when I explored the franchise before that the recent series of games under NetherRealm Studios seem to have uh, introduced sort of timelines and sort of rewriting time into their uh, elements of their story. And they've introduced these cinematic story modes where you were able to play through a series of chapters where you play as one of the characters, perform several fights against other characters, um, interspersed with cutscenes. Now, the story modes aren't necessarily perfect, and they do have faults. Um, for example, uh, one quite prominent issue is that after you've played a particular character, that character very rarely goes on to win another fight throughout the course of the story mode. Um, because usually you might be fighting against them or your character that you'll be controlling in a later chapter will come in to save them. Um, so there's definitely elements of, of them that are problematic. Um, you know, they're quite limiting in the fact that, you know, you get a chapter where you play as one character and you'll be in control of that character for a portion of the story where that character will have several fights. Um, usually four, but sometimes it can go up to five or six. And... For those fights, you will be, um, you know, th those fights could be separated by, you know, a uh, half an hour of cutscenes, or they could take place fairly quickly. Um, they could take place in multiple locations, or they could take place in a single location. It's, you know, like I said, it's not perfect, but... For what it is, it's quite good. And you do get a chance to play as the majority of the cast. Not all of them. You know, these are games that have, you know, in their default roster, at least 20 fighters. Um, the most chapters in the story mode usually uh, is about a dozen. Um, so it's not the best. Now, so obviously, for example, you rarely play as the villains, and so the villains tend to lose most of their fights, which can also kind of give them a bit of villain decay. However, like I said, I do generally quite like the story modes. Now, the original run of Mortal Kombat games ended with the Battle of Armageddon, um, with Mortal Kombat Armageddon, and... When NetherRealm Studios brought the series back um, after Midway's collapse, they brought it back with um, Mortal Kombat 9, which was just called Mortal Kombat, came out in 2011. Um, 
Now, Mortal Kombat 2011 featured um, the first of these new story modes, and at the start of the story mode, uh, Raiden, the Thunder God and Protector of Earthrealm, and Shao Kahn, the Emperor of Outworld, were the only two fighters left who had survived the Battle of Armageddon. And Shao Kahn proceeded to, you know, powered up by the, the, the great power of Blaze, proceeded to kill Raiden. But before he did, Raiden managed to send a message back through time to his younger self. His younger self at the very first Mortal Kombat tournament, well, not the very first Mortal Kombat tournament, but the tournament analogous with the, the first game of Mortal Kombat, picked up this message. Mortal Kombat 9 went on to retell... Um, you know, Mortal Kombat, the events of Mortal Kombat 1, 2, and 3. However, altering certain events during the course of the game, um, you know, certain characters died that were, you know, alive in the normal timeline and um, various things like that. It was, um, yeah, it was a very interesting uh, story. Not necessarily great, Um but it was definitely it was it was definitely trying something and something unique. That's the end of that story saw most of the main heroes dead, um, including uh, Liu Kang, the main hero of the series, uh, and reanimated in the Nether Realm. This then led into the sequel, which was Mortal Kombat X. Mortal Kombat X worked mainly as a retelling of Mortal Kombat 4 and the battle against Shinnok, but also featured as part of it a time jump uh, of about 20 to 25 years and featured the children of um, several main protagonists, uh, including Johnny Cage and Sonya Blade's daughter Cassie, um, Kung Jin, Takeda Takahashi, who is the son of Kenshi, and Jackie Briggs, who is the son of Jax, uh, sorry, the daughter of Jax. And they ended up fighting the new ruler of Outworld, who was Kotal Khan. Uh, Mortal Kombat X was quite good. It introduced quite a few new characters. The story mode for it was only about two hours long in terms of the actual run of cinematics. Um, but and, and it was only 12 chapters, but I didn't think it was too bad. There was some very good animation in it. It was a very stylized game, Mortal Kombat X. Um, and it was tr obviously trying something. It didn't always work, but what it was trying was definitely interesting. And you did get to play as some of the villains in that one, like Kotal. Um, Mortal Kombat 11 which released a few years later. The most recent Mortal Kombat game until Mortal Kombat 1, which is just released. Um, Mortal Kombat... I'll get to that numbering transition at some point, because I, I do. I, I just think it's confusing more than anything else. If you go from Mortal Kombat to Mortal Kombat X to Mortal Kombat 11, and now Mortal Kombat 1. <sighs> Anywho. But yeah, Mortal Kombat uh, 11 featured, again, a shorter 
chapters of story mode, but it made up for it by at several points in the story allowing you to pick which characters you were playing as from two. So uh, you could play as either Liu Kang or Kung Lao uh, uh, in one of the chapters. You could play as either Scorpion or Sub-Zero in another one of the chapters, and so on. It was... Mortal Kombat's 11 story featured time travel shenanigans um, featuring a villain called Kronika who was trying to restart time um, due to her child, Shinnok, being executed by Raiden and her anger at that. Um, Her justification was that she was trying to keep the balance between good and evil and that killing Shinnok who was evil, had thrown that balance out. The thing is, you know, Kronika's plan is one that can kind of fall apart quite easily with the, you know, if you look at it with too much logic. But the story mode itself was pretty entertaining. Um, The graphics were good. The acting was pretty decent. Um, Exception of uh, one or two characters. Ronda Rousey as Sonya Blade. Um, for example, was quite flat in a lot of her line delivery, um, especially as in Mortal Kombat X, she'd been played by Trisha Heifer, who was a great actress, so uh, and a very skilled voice actress. So that was a bit disappointing, you know, and a bit of a downgrade. But a lot of the other Mortal Kombat actors by this point had been mainstays and were quite um, quite solid in their roles. Um, and then there were a few new ones that were bought in, a lot of some of whom carry over into this game as well, um, like the voice actors for Sindel and Shao Kahn. So, but yeah, the the story modes, Mortal Kombat X and Mortal Kombat Eleven especially, have tried to mature in some respects. They've tried to do things with the characters, take on a more you know a more adult tone. Um, not even necessarily adult tone, a, a more mature tone in some respects. Um, you know, there is still the violence and the gore that's, you know, emblematic of the Mortal Kombat series. But it's like, there's also, you know, some character relationships get developed and, you know, stories and and we see the characters interact with each other and things like that. And like I said, none of it's high art or anything. It's not fantastic writing. It's not going to win awards. It's a serviceable story to get you from point A to point B in the storyline. But it's definitely entertaining enough. Now... Mortal Kombat 11's story mode ends with uh, Liu Kang and Raiden combining. Uh, And so you end up with Fire God Liu Kang, who has the powers of of a god, essentially, and is able to take on Kronika and defeat her. He defeats her, gains control of her uh, cosmic hourglass, which she is using to try and restart time. This then leads into the story expansion, which is Mortal Kombat Aftermath. Aftermath introduces some of the DLC characters, uh, including Shang Tsung, uh, Nightwolf, Fujin, etc., brings them all in, gives them a story 
to go back in time and retrieve Kronika's crown, to go back in time in the, the current timeline, um, because Liu Kang cannot control the hourglass without it. And so, you know, they go back into the timeline, but they arrive later than planned. And so they're intersecting with the events of the pre- of the main storyline of Mortal Kombat 11, and now they change that timeline again. And, you know, a lot of this centers around Shang Tsung and his own uh, manipulations as, like, the grand evil bastard of um, the Mortal Kombat franchise. Um, and he's played by Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa, who does him, who performs him in the the original Mortal Kombat movie in 1995. So it is a very, very good job. Uh, and, and like I said, this particular story mode, both Mortal Kombat 11 and Mortal Kombat 11 Aftermath, are fully motion captured um, for faces and obviously the actual combat themselves. Um, they're quite well animated, quite realistically animated, unlike Mortal Kombat X, which was more stylized. This is very realistic. And it looks good. And Aftermath has some quite entertaining twists in the story. Um, some parts of the fan base were a lot more ired by certain bits than I was. Um, I mentioned this before in the previous episode. But essentially, it ends with uh, Shang Tsung in control of the crown, having betrayed everyone and seemingly killed all of his major opponents in control of the hourglass when Liu Kang comes in. And this is where it's revealed that Liu Kang knew that Shang Tsung with the crown was the only one capable of defeating Kronika and keeping the crown. And so Liu Kang engineered the sacrifice of all of his allies and enemies in order to allow Shang Tsung to get to this point. But it now means that Liu Kang and Shang Tsung have to fight for you know, the fate of everything. And depending on who you select for the final battle, there are actually two cutscene endings, one of which features uh, Liu Kang creating a new timeline and then going back and meeting with the original great Kung Lao, um, you know, the ancestor of the modern-day Kung Lao, and um, Shang Tsung forming his own new timeline where now Raiden, Fujin, and a whole load of other characters answer to him and he is conquering the realms um and so that's where mortal kombat 11 ended mortal kombat 1 is specifically designed to explore the new era as created by Liu kang Okay, all the trailers that were set up pre-release for this were showing off the new characters. Um, it's got an uh, something as well called the cameo system, which is allowing for cameo fighters to appear. Um, cameo fighters are essentially, you know, it's, it's a gameplay tweak to allow you to include more characters. But for a lot of this, you know, there were characters coming back in this that some had been fan requested for years now and hadn't been seen for a long time. A lot of the 3D era characters, for example, like um, Ashra, Havoc, um, you know, as well as some of the ninjas like Smoke, Reptile, Ermac is one of the DLC fighters and things like that. There's been some changes, but there's a lot that's still connected to Mortal Kombat 11. One of the biggest changes is a lot of the characters have had uh, facial redesigns. Um, 
to as some of them had in Mortal Kombat 11 as well to more closely match actors of um, specific ethnic origins. For example, Quan Chi now looks um, South Asian, so, you know, Indian subcontinent. Um, I don't believe his actor is, but that's how he looks. He looks like Indian or, or Middle Eastern, you know. He's got that kind of skin tone, facial structure, things like that. Um, Sindel is now made to look more Asian um, than she did in Mortal Kombat 11 and as a result now more closely matches Katana and Mylena, her two, her two daughters um, and there's a few other changes like that there's also other characters who quite closely resemble their previous versions from the last game, Johnny Cage for example um, you know the Johnny Cage in this game just looks the same just younger, same with Kung Lao Now, the game itself, you know, like I said, I'm 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 not much of a fighting game player, so I'm not going to speak about the uh, the gameplay, um, you know. But from what I've seen, looks good. Um, however, what I have done is watched all of the uh, cinematics and watched my way through the story mode um, because obviously the 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 pre-release came out and this was all up. So people have completed the story mode and as a result, I know what happens in it. And I know what happens in the arcade endings as well because Mortal Kombat has always had the uh, the arcade ladder and in some of the previous games, um, you know, elements of the arcade ladders seem to suggest things that might happen after the main story mode. Mortal Kombat X, for example, a lot of the um, arcade ladder endings actually feel like they did take place in between Mortal Kombat X and Mortal Kombat 11. Um, You know, there's references to things that maybe suggest that they did happen. Um, But all of the arcade ladder endings for this game seem to be set directly after the main story mode. In a lot of cases, they are epilogues for the main story mode, which is quite interesting. So I thought I'd discuss the story mode. I thought I'd give you an account of it. And, you know, like I said, a lot of this might not make sense if you haven't heard my previous Mortal Kombat episode or if you're not familiar with Mortal Kombat as a franchise anyway. Um, But... I hope you're willing to hear me out because I think it's an interesting game with an interesting story. So, the story mode starts with a little introduction from Liu Kang about how he created the new era. And then we are introduced to Shang Tsung, who in this timeline is basically a swindler. Someone proposing selling a miracle cure or essentially he's a snake oil salesman. Um... And he is approached by a figure with a resemblance to Kronika. Now, I don't think she actually uh, calls herself by name, but she appears to be Kronika. And she says that someone was conspiring against him before he was born, and that his destiny has been manipulated, and that she can restore his power and his fate. Which, obviously, he accepts. We are then introduced to Kung Lao and Raiden, who are young farmers, and they learn how to fight under a local Madame Bao, 
uh, Madame Bo, who runs a restaurant. Um, they go to her restaurant and the Lin Kuei shake her down for protection money. So we see the introductions of Scorpion, Sub-Zero and Smoke. Uh, and Kung Lao fights them all. Um, but we learn as well that Bi Han is Sub-Zero and he is the Grandmaster of the Lin Kuei. And Kuai Liang, his brother, is Scorpion. So obviously there's already a twist on the current timeline because in the original timeline... Uh, Bi Han was the original Sub-Zero, and then Kuai Liang took over as Sub-Zero afterwards. There's no Hanzo Hasashi in this game, or at least not in the main story mode. After Kung Lao defeats them all, Liu Kang reveals himself and recruits the two of them to join the Lin Kuei as his champions in a tournament against Outworld because there are some vocal elements there that are against the peace between the two realms. And so the tournament will sort of scare them into silence. We're then introduced to Johnny Cage, uh, who is in a bit of a career rough patch. Uh, his latest action film is being directed by Steven Spielberg because Spielberg owes him a favour. Uh, in fact, the first two fights of Johnny Cage's story mode are from his film. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I have thoughts about that, about how the facts, you know... I mean, Johnny Cage has, has always sort of had his story mode chapter quite early in the, the NetherRealm trilogy. Um, I think Mortal Kombat 11 is the one where he appears latest. But, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a shame um, that he's sort of over and done with this early and that two, two of the four fights he gets are fights that are within the context of his movie. But it's like, we get quite interested in who Johnny Cage is in this. He's, he's married to a young woman called Chris. Um, they have a disagreement about the fact that he's refusing to cut back um, on his spending because he's saying, you know, I have to, to be the rock star, you know, to be the, the superstar, I've got to live the superstar life, you know. And she's like, sell some of this stuff, you know, sell the the statue that you paid $30,000 for, sell the, the sword that you paid $3 million for. And, you know, he then reveals that he's a bit of a historian as well, because he mentions that the sword is quite valuable, belong to, uh, you know, it, it's quite a famous Japanese sword. And we reveal that the sword is actually Sento. Okay. Chris leaves uh, in a half and Kenshi comes in. And Kenshi comes in after Sento. Um, which Johnny recently purchased for, like I said, $3 million. Kenshi reveals that, you know, uh, his family changed their name after being caught in an ancient siege. So he is a member of the Tyra clan uh, who used to own Sento. Um, and he is trying to reclaim Sento um, so that he can break his family free from the Yakuza and restore them, uh, restore them to their honor as the clan. Liu Kang and the brothers arrive, uh, asking to speak to both Johnny and his guest. So obviously Liu Kang knows that Kenshi is there. Uh, by this point, I think Johnny's already fought him and beat him and was tied to a chair. Um, Johnny thinks it's all a prank arranged by Chris and accidentally starts a fight with Bihan before Liu Kang interferes and explains everything. Um, and basically he recruits Johnny and Kenshi as well. So they both come to the Wuxi Academy um, along with Raiden and Kung Lao, to train as Liu Kang's champions. 
So that's the first two chapters. It then picks up uh, several months later. And the champion to represent Earthrealm is being chosen. As Outworld is hosting uh, this particular tournament, they can field many, but Earthrealm is only allowed a single champion. So that champion is going to have to fight through all of the Outworld champions, essentially. Um, so Liu Kang has Raiden battle Johnny, Kenshi, and Kung Lao to become the champion, and he is then given a lightning amulet forged by the Elder Gods, which is what gives him his uh, lightning powers. I should mention this Raiden, while he's named after the Thunder God from the previous iteration of the timeline, he has barely anything in common with him. This is a young human man. Um, a young Asian human man as well, whereas... Um, I think Raiden the Thunder God is sort of implied to be Asian, but has never, ever looked Asian, especially not in the Netherrealm trilogy. So, um, you know, he's given this lightning amulet, he's able to use its powers. Um, they then travel to Outworld's capital, which is Sundo. In the original timeline, Sundo is Lee Mei's village. It's not the capital of Outworld, but in this, it is. And they go there and they meet the princesses, Mylena and Kitana, as well as Tanya, who is the leader of their Umgadi bodyguard. Um, the races of Outworld are united in this timeline. So we see um, Nakanadans, which are collectors people, uh, Shokan, the Centaurs, uh, the Adenians, all of them living together in, in peace and harmony, which is quite interesting. You know, that's something we've not really seen before, and I quite like it. Um, they parade through the city with a celebration being held for the late Emperor Gerard, and this is who the the tournament is sort of being held for. However, the parade ends up being halted when the disgraced Lee May, um, so she's the first constable of the the sort of city police, but she used to be the leader of the Umgadi, um. And she is being forced to remove some infected Tarkatans from hiding to take them to quarantine. Mylena is angered by this and says she doesn't want the Earthrealmers to know their secrets and kind of rebukes Lime for it. At the palace, um, Raiden and Liu Kang encounter General Shao. Um, so this is the former Shao Kahn. He's had a bit of a redesign in this. In the last game, he had a bit of a redesign as well to make him look more of a, a more of a dragon. In this, it's similar to that, except he's now got horns as well, which he didn't have before. The horns used to be part of his helmet, but now he's actually got horns himself. It's an interesting change. Uh, I quite like it. I'm not sure what the general consensus for it is online, but I, I do kind of like Shao looking a bit weird, <laughs> to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's General Shao, not Shao Kahn. He's not in control of anything. Now, Shao taunts uh, Raiden and Liu Kang over the tournament um, before the Empress Sindel arrives with her daughters um, to oversee the tournament. Li Mei, by tradition, has the first battle, despite her standing with the royal family, because, like I said, she's disgraced. She is not held in high regard by them at all. Basically, it was revealed that um, 
Gerard was murdered on her watch. So, hence why she was drummed out of the, the Umgardi, because like I said, the Umgardi are the royal family's bodyguards. Now, Lime has the first battle. She gets defeated by Raiden. Reiko, who's Shao's disciple, is the next to fight. Obviously, he gets defeated as well because you're playing as Raiden uh, for this chapter, so you're defeating all of them. Um, the tournament adjourns for the day, and the parties meet at a banquet. Now, at the banquet uh, that night, Shao causes a scene. Um you know, kind of challenging the Earth Realmers, challenging Liu Kang, and he gets reprimanded for it later by Sindel. And it's revealed that a sorcerer has predicted that Liu Kang will conquer Outworld. And so Shao is is very much against Liu Kang as a result. But as Sindel has no proof of ill intent and Liu Kang has helped foster the peace that Outworld now enjoys, she is hesitant to act and do anything about it. She dismisses Shao and then meets with her daughters and she makes Kitana the champion in Melina's place because Melina is apparently suffering from a disease. Right, Malina was struggling earlier at the at the banquet and sort of Tanya came over to her and checked if she was okay and she said, no, I'm fine, and everything like that. Um, and Mylena protests. She says the people are already calling for Katana to replace her as heir. Um, it turns out she was infected by this disease after leaving the palace alone some time ago, and she would be banished if it was discovered. This causes Mylena to leave in protest. The next day arrives, Raiden has already defeated Kotal, uh, presumably Kotal Khan, uh, Motaro, and Shiva off-screen. As a result, there is only two fights left. Now, replacing Mylena, Kitana comes in to fight. Liu Kang protests, saying he's not uh, prepared Raiden for fighting Kitana. Um, but Raiden says he's ready and scores the victory and kind of flirts with Kitana afterwards uh which i thought was quite interesting it's kind of the similar to the the Liu Kang katana flirtation ship that we've always had in the games um the final fight is general shao and raiden is victorious again and sindel proclaims earth realms the victors and the heroes all return to the earth realm this actually makes raiden's chapter like the longest chapter of the lot um i think in any MK story mode in terms of the amount of fights because you know there's Kenshi, Johnny um, Kung Lao uh, <laughs> Li Mei Reiko, Kitana and uh, Shao so seven fights don't think we've ever had one that's been that long before which is quite interesting later on uh you know, while Liu Kang's alone, Garrus arrives. Garrus was Kronika's um, assistant in the old timeline. In this, he's now working for Liu Kang. And it's the first time Liu Kang says he's seen him in eons. Um, basically, when Liu Kang stepped down as the Keeper of Time, um, Garrus became the Guardian of the Hourglass. Liu Kang relinquished it so that he wouldn't go mad in the same way as Kronika did. And so he's he's now just Earthrealm's protector. 
um, basically the, the role that Raiden used to have in the previous timeline. Garrus warns him that Shang Tsung's destiny has changed and that Shang Tsung has become a sorcerer again and has infiltrated Sindel's court. Okay, but Garrus doesn't know more than that. He's just seen it in the hourglass, but he can't see much more than that. Liu Kang then asks Kenshi, Johnny, and Kung Lao to enter Outworld without Sindel's knowledge to search for Shang Tsung. He can't send Raiden because the tournament has made Raiden a celebrity. Kenshi and Johnny are continuing to argue over Sento because Johnny has bought it with him. And Johnny refuses to return it to Kenshi. In fact, it's one of the, the few things that Johnny's implied to still have left. Um... They go into Outworld, they find a group of soldiers and some captured Tarkatans, including Shang Tsung, who is now trying to experiment on Baraka. The heroes have to intervene to stop Baraka from killing Shang Tsung, because Baraka manages to fight his way free after having some marrow extracted. Um, Shang Tsung is able to slip away and disguise himself as a Tarkatan to escape into the crowd. Turns out in this timeline, Tarkat is a disease that has affected the Tarkatans. The Tarkatans are, they used to be Adenians, basically, and it has been transforming them. Baraka now leads all the victims that are still sane enough to form a society. The ones that are losing their minds end up going into the wastes and perishing, presumably. Shang apparently arrives once a month to take their marrow, and Baraka says he has no idea why. Baraka and Kenshi form a truce, and he leads them to Shang Tsung's laboratory. Breaking in, they find him about to administer a formula to an unconscious Mylena, with Rain and Tanya apparently helping him. Kenshi launches into an attack, beats Rain and Tanya. However, Shang says he is trying to help Mylena, and that's where Mylena's infection peaks. It turns out she's been infected by Tarkat, and she launches into an attack. They manage to defeat her, but then she manages, she sort of lunges for Johnny Cage. Kenshi pushes Johnny out the way and ends up stabbed in the eyes by Mylena, um, which obviously blinds him before Shang Tsung is able to administer a serum. However, once um, Mylena is, is the serum's been administered, Mylena sort of returns to normal, calms down, uh, falls unconscious, and that's when Kitana, Goro, and Shao arrive, only for Shang to say that the Earthrealmers are trying to expose Mylena's illness, which causes them to be arrested. As they get taken away, a portal opens, revealing Quan Chi. Turns out Quan Chi is the sorcerer that was mentioned before, the one with the prophecy, and he supports Shang Tsung's version of events, which convinces the quite eager Shao and the reluctant Kitana of Liu Kang's treachery against Outworld. Kitana takes her sister away, along with Rain and uh, Tanya, and Shao asks Shang what really happened. And Shang reveals that they were after him, but he doesn't reveal why. It seems apparent that Quan Chi, Xiao, and Shang Tsung are all conspiring to bring the realms to war, but we don't know why yet. Xiao orders the Earth Realm was killed before he leaves, 
and it is revealed that both of the sorcerers are working for Kronika. She's been responsible for changing both of their destinies. Quan Chi's destiny, uh, he was previously a miner, um, you know, working way in the mines. And that Kronika apparently needs the realms at war to conquer them both. And she's promised that Shang Tsung and Quan Chi can rule by her side. So they awaken in, um, yeah, Kenshi, Johnny, Lao, and Baraka awaken in Shang Tsung's dungeon. Uh, Johnny proceeds to compare it to a movie he worked on previously called The Flesh Pits. which I thought was quite funny, um, because obviously it is the flash pits. That's what it used to be called in the old timeline. But the fact it's everything seems to be named by Johnny and usually in a reference to something from a previous film he's done, which I, I quite like. But yeah, they get introduced to their jailer, who is the enslaved Sizoth. Sizoth is reptile. Um, Turns out Saizos family is being threatened by Shang Tsung, but he does help them to treat Kenshi's wounds. He gives them like a, a treatment which can relieve Kenshi's pain. Um Baraka helps them to escape, um battling Saizoth, but refusing to kill him. Um but Saizoth is pleading, saying, you know, look, he's going to know that you escaped. I'm going to be punished anyway. That's the point where Shang Tsung returns and he battles them all, revealing that he killed Sizoth's family long ago, which obviously then causes uh, the Zaterran to aid them and help them escape. It turns out as well, Sizoth is able to shapeshift from his standard reptilian Zaterran form to a more humanoid form. And this is where Shang Tsung got his ability of um, being able to shapeshift. He sort of stole it from Sizoth uh, in this timeline, which is, again, interesting. Um, the heroes flee. Kenshi um, sort of asked to be left behind, saying he's going to slow them down. But Johnny refuses, saying, look, you saved my life. I'm going to keep you alive. And the two of them kind of make peace a bit more. Um, they travel through the living forest. They encounter a rogue demon um, named Ashra. Um, she is being attacked by other demons from the nether realm. Baraka and Sizoth both come out, uh, you know, hear her struggling and sort of run to help. And they, she confuses them for more of Quan Chi's demons hunting her, and so fights them. Um, but she reveals that she is purifying her soul. She's got the sword, uh, Chris, which she is using to purify her soul, which is why she doesn't look like a demon much anymore. And she's turned on Quan Chi because he's harvesting souls on a large scale to aid Shang Tsung. And, you know, they, they manage to talk around, they strike up an alliance. Ashra then leads them through the forest using her sword, Chris to uh, sense the evil of Quan Chi. Now, they find him testing his soul stealer. And he's using um, sort of donations. We're not quite sure what. It's like a a red crystal thing. He gets given part of it by Nitara, who is obviously uh, a vampire from Veternus. 
and part of it from Havoc. Uh, Havoc is flanked by Darius in this. Um, he's already helping Natara's people, the Returnans, to survive sunlight, because obviously it's, it's broad daylight when this is happening. In fact, quite a lot of the scenes in Outworld take place during daylight, which is quite nice. Outworld's always been like quite dark and um shadowed in previous games but in this it's quite bright and quite lovely it's a, a change um it's got more in common with adenia i think um and i like it i don't know why adenia and outworld are still merged in this but that's a different question um maybe that's something more in the, in the invasion mode of the game because there is a, a post post story mode invasion mode where you go through the different realms and things like that so anywho um, but yeah, Quan Chi is helping Natara's people to survive in sunlight and has promised Havoc and Darius that he's going to help them overthrow, overthrow Sado's government, Sado being Order Realm, um, Havoc being the Cleric of Chaos and Darius being a, a, a Sadan rebel. However, it's revealed, um, not in the story mode, but it's revealed in one of the character bios, that this version of Havoc isn't the same Cleric of Chaos that we had in the previous 3D era games, this is actually Darius. Uh, not Darius, sorry, Dairu. Dairu has taken on the role of Havoc in this timeline. And I quite like that. <laughs> you know, Dairu... <sighs> Dairu seemed like a bit of a redundant character before. Because, you know, the... Order Realm and Chaos Realm only really appear in uh, Mortal Kombat Deception. And obviously they're mentioning, they take place in Conquest mode with Shujinko, but they don't, they, and obviously there's the characters of uh, Hataru, Darius, Dairu, and Havoc. Um, but of those, everyone except for Havoc comes from Order Realm, and while Hataru is like an Order Realm soldier, a Satan soldier, Darius is a rebel and Dairu is a rebel. But like Dairu is a bounty hunter as well, or, or like a mercenary, and Darius is like a rebel. But it's it's not really explained or that none of them are really explained or developed much. Um, so it's like what makes Dairu different to Darius and Havoc, because Havoc is also opposed to uh, Sado's order, but Sado actually comes from Chaos Realm, so it explains why he's he's the way he is. So in this, making Dairu Havoc, you know, creates a difference between the two characters. Um, so yeah, I don't hate it. It means it's not the same cleric of chaos that we used to have before, but it also means that Dairu isn't quite so redundant as he used to be, maybe. We'll see. I see how it goes. Uh, I'd, I'd be interested to see what they do with it in future stories. Um, and if we get more of the character. But yeah, um, Quan Chi says he's going to help them after Earthrealm's been conquered. He activates this soul-stealer machine. He's trying to steal the souls in the living forest. Um, Johnny gives Kenshi Sento and tells him to hang back while they battle the sorcerer. Um, 
Ashra runs into battle, defeats Natara, who comes to Quan Chi's defense, but Quan Chi manages to activate the device, creating a soul nado, um, which Quan Chi uses to create Ermac. Um, Ashra defeats uh, Havoc and Quan Chi, but Ermac proves too strong until Sento allows Kenji to siphon some of Ermac's power, which allows Ashra to defeat him and destroy the Soul Stealer. The heroes then capture Quan Chi and say they're going to take him back to Earthrealm, to Liu Kang. And while Baraka wishes to stay in Outworld to help the Tarkatans, they invite Ashra and Sizoth to come to Earthrealm with them. At this point in the story mode, there's a brief moment that seems a bit out of context where Shang Tsung basically reports to, um, you know, Kronika um, that he has engineered for the Lin Kuei to portray Earthrealm. Um, it's just like a small scene, but it seems so disjointed because we don't, the next chapter doesn't have us control any of the, the Lin Kuei. In fact, it seems to just be like put out of sync. Like, I'm not sure why it's here, especially because, you know, at this point, Shang Tsung's just, Quan Chi's just been captured. I don't know. It's narratively, it's, it doesn't seem to make much sense here. But yeah, I suppose it's because we're halfway through the story mode, I suppose. Because, you know, we've had, what, six characters so far? So, the group arrive in Sundo. Um, you know, it's night time, there's a, a big celebration happening, and they disguise themselves while Sizoth runs along the rooftops and creates a diversion during celebration. Um Shao is there though, and he's told Li Mei to look for the Earth Realmers, um, but hasn't told her why. Uh, Shao then sees Sizoth, realizes obviously that he's there because he recognizes Sizoth, because um, Sizoth has obviously encountered Shao and Quan Chi before and sort of knows that they're working with Shang Tsung um, and what their plan is to an extent, but not the full details. And uh, so Xiao and Reiko, um, well, Xiao sends Reiko and then Li Mei goes along as well to apprehend Sizoth. Sizoth gets wounded, uh, and so Kenshi sees this and Kenshi goes to help him. Um, but then obviously there's, there's a massive parade float and like Kitana, Mylena, Tanya, they're all there. Um, Mylena kind of struggles a bit and then kind of disappears. So Kitana ends up seeing Sizoth and Kenshi. And so her and Tanya both attempt to intervene. Shao and Goro then find the others. Um, the others were all in disguise. And at this point, Quan Chi manages to wake up and escape. So the others then have to fight Shao in order to flee through the portal. Um, they get back to Earthrealm. And this is where... Liu Kang notices Kenshi's wounds and says that he's glad he bonded to Sento, but he wished that, you know, his wounds hadn't happened this time. So he's kind of alluding to the former timeline unguarded. And Kenshi kind of picks him up on it. Uh, and then Liu Kang just kind of like, I misspoke, you know? <laughs> um, Kenshi, uh, sorry, Liu Kang meets with Ashra and Sizoth and obviously learns what he can from then, and then shares what he learns with Garrus. And this is where Garrus reveals that 
reveals Kronika, although he can't quite see her, but he sees that she looks like Kronika. Um, but reveals that Kronika herself couldn't have returned because Titans can't be resurrected once they've been killed. Um, which is probably why we've never seen them before, because I think the last game did imply that Kronika had killed them all. So Lou then tasks Garrus with learning if someone else survived the old timeline. Like if she's, if whoever is posing as Kronika is someone who survived the previous timeline. Liu Kang then sends the Lin Kuei to find Shang Tsung in Earthrealm. Shang Tsung is at the Ying Fortress. Um, but by this point, Bi Han is starting to show greater ambition and wanting to kind of escape Liu Kang's shackles and is kind of clashing with Smoke and Scorpion over this. The three of them infiltrate the fortress, but they then get opposed by Nitara, Serena, Ermac, and a few others. Sub-Zero pro- promptly defeats them all, because obviously now it's his chapter. Uh, Quan Chi is also at the fortress. He's forging more soul stealers. They follow him to a treasure room in the fortress, which is just overflowing with spoils, which obviously seems to pique Bihan's attention. Um... Shang then arrives, and the brothers battle the Deadly Alliance. However, Shao intervenes before Bihan can kill Shang Tsung. Shang Tsung entices Bihan by offering him the chance to gain power for the Lin Kuei free of Liu Kang. I should point out as well, um, Shang Tsung in this game, not voiced by Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa, he's voiced by someone called Alan Lee. Alan Lee is doing the most pitch-perfect impersonation of Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa that I was fooled quite a lot of the time while watching this. He, he sounds so in sync with what we had before for Shang Tsung that it's just masterful. Um, you know, because obviously Kari Hiroyuki Tagawa's Shang Tsung in... Um, in the previous game was just iconic. <laughs> you know, his, his, his portrayal was amazing. You, you had the motion capture, you had the face, you had it all going on. So in this, he doesn't quite look the same because obviously you don't have the actor's likeness anymore. Um, but he sounds very similar and it really works. Um, because yeah, he's got the perfect voice for Shang Tsung because he just makes him so slimy. Um, like, you can't trust a word he's saying. He's a total snake, and I love it. Um, so, Bihan kind of entertains Shang Tsung, despite the fact Scorpion's pleading with him not to listen. But, you know, Bihan's own ambition is that powerful. Um, and this is where Shang Tsung reveals the Dragon Army a legion of enchanted statues that were buried with Emperor Ying. Um, Shang, using a crown, which looks very similar to Kronika's crown, um, and is able to channel soul energy in the same way, animates some of them using some soul fragments and sort of gives a demonstration, this, this sort of group of soldiers that all kind of move in sync. And he offers a battalion of them to Bihan for him to command as part of the Lin Kuei, as, as part of Shang Tsung's forces. And Bihan agrees. 
And at this point, Behan, like Scorpion's kind of pleading with him, and Behan reveals that he allowed their father, the previous Grandmaster, to die, seeing him as weak. And that enrages Scorpion. And so uh, Scorpion Kwai Liang fights to escape. He manages to battle his way past Shao, Rain, Quan Chi, Havoc, Darius. I'm listing a lot of characters, and that's because some of them are obviously the the uh, cameo fighters. So obviously, I I quite like this because it means the cameo fighters are appearing in the story mode. Like, for example, if you're fighting Shao and Goro, Shao is the main fighter, Goro is the um, cameo fighter. Or like where Kenshi comes up to back up Sizoth. So you're playing a Sizoth reptile, but Kenshi is the cameo fighter for him. It's quite cool, and I like it. I like that the actual, the cameos, which are obviously a gameplay thing uh, to allow you to include more characters, are are actually being used in the story mode. Like, Darius in is a cameo fighter, so he appears with Havoc every time Havoc fights in story mode. Serena is a cameo fighter, so again, she's the same. So yeah, I quite like this. But yeah, Scorpion manages to fight them all off, uh, reunites with Smoke outside. There's some very cool scenes in Scorpion's escape. Like, there's one bit um, where some of the dragon army kind of come towards him, and one of them, like, lunges at him with a sword. Scorpion generates this inferno, and, like, the sword melts as it approaches its face, um, just from the heat, and it's quite well done. Like, I mean, the fights in these games have always been good. Like, if you're a fan of, like, the sort of the wushu cinema and stuff like that, the fights, the actual cinematics um, work. They work really well. Like, the guys doing the motion capture for the fighting really do their job. And this game, the story mode for this, the cutscenes look incredible. Like, the lighting engine, if, if nothing else, is phenomenal. Um... And yeah, there's some some really cool moments in Scorpion's escape as he's challenging some of the other characters. Um, but yeah, he reunites with Smoke outside, and this is where Bihan catches him and attacks. And during this attack, he manages to give Kuai Liang his traditional scar, because obviously in the old timeline, Kuai Liang was the second Sub-Zero. He had a scar, a big scar on his face, Um which he gained while fleeing the Lin Kuei when they started cyberizing um, their soldiers. So yeah, it's Scorpion now has that scar. So Scorpion turns on Bihan, manages to defeat him, and him and Smoke leave the Lin Kuei, essentially. And as they leave, they take Bihan away with them to imprison him um, so that he can't join up with the Sh- uh, Shang and Quan Chi. But as they leave the fortress, the Soul Stealers activate in these giant uh, green sky beams um, sort of take off, um, which is a bit cheesy. I know there's a lot of jokes about the whole giant sky beam kind of thing. Um <laughs> And yeah, maybe not for the. Maybe it's not wrong. <laughs> um, this is where Garrus arrives. Garrus is, uh, comes back. He's been analyzing the hourglass, and he reveals that Kronika comes not from the previous timeline, 
but from a second timeline that is existing alongside this one that Garrus cannot see, all right? And Garrus says this is something that has never happened before and makes both timelines valid. I will say Garrus as well. I don't think you ever fight him. Uh, like, you don't actually fight him during the story mode, and you only get to fight as him in story mode in the final chapter, if you choose to, um, because I'll get to that. But yeah, this is something that's never happened before. So obviously it makes both timelines valid. So Garrus doesn't really know what to do. Lou says he has no choice but to reveal everything to Sindel to stop the war and ask Garrus to accompany him. So, you know, to help him convince her. Lou Kang goes alone to... Um, Outworld arrives in Sundo, uh, where he's confronted by Lee May, because um, the portal is like central to Sundo. Um, Lee May confronts them, but Liu Kang reveals what is happening, saying that um, you know he knows that Earthrealm is being invaded, and he also kind of whispers to her and says that he knows about Mylena's illness, which he's shared with no one, um, and he he uses it to kind of sway Lee May to his side, and. Lee May escorts him to the palace, but along the way they get ambushed by Reiko and Mataro. Because again, Mataro, cameo fighter, joins up with Reiko for this. Uh, this is Lee May's chapter. Um, so she fights them at the palace. Lee May is forced to fight Tanya, but convinces the other Umgadi to aid her in meeting with Sindel. However, San Tanya causes a fight, which leads to Katana and Mylena fighting Lee May, which then causes Mylena to lose control and get her full Tarkatan features again. So when she loses control, she grows all the teeth and, and more traditional um, Tarkatan Melina look that she has in the previous uh, timeline of games. Um. Yeah, uh, Mylena lose control, Lee May manages to subdue her, and Tanya gives her the serum again and sort of looks after her, and Liu Kang tells Sindel everything and says if he cannot convince her of Shang Tsung's treachery at Shang's laboratory, he will surrender Earthrealm without a fight. Which I think is just a great moment. Like, it's a really, really good moment. Because it's like, all ev everything's come... He's come clean. It's about to come clean about everything. And he's put the stakes there. You know? I, I, don't, I have to admit, when I was watching this, I was kind of on the edge of my seat. I was like, this is really good. This is the most creative, I think, Mortal Kombat has been for a while. Because the last time they redid the timeline, Mortal Kombat 9 was nothing like this. This Mortal Kombat 1 is really, this is a new timeline. Every character feels different. Some for better, some for worse. But like Mylena, for example, is much more interesting here because she's really struggling with her disease. And we're getting more of an insight into what Mylena could be when she's not being manipulated as uh, due to her Tarkatan heritage. We're seeing... Um, you know, we're getting more of an exploration of some of the 3D-era characters, like Ashra. Um, you know, Rain is is very different. Rain is actually sort of with Quan Chi on this. Um, but, you know, Tanya in this is completely loyal. She's, you know, I'm used to Tanya betraying everyone, because that's like her whole thing. Um, Bihan, 
I'm a bit annoyed that Bihan went evil. In fact, if anything, Bihan's ambition is very similar to Sector's. Um, but I just, you know, I do like aspects of it. Like Bihan is definitely Sub Zero, and Kui Liang is definitely Scorpion. You know, there's a lot of interesting ideas that they really seem to be trying something new. And the old timeline didn't really have that, at least not with Mortal Kombat 9. The time jump in Mortal Kombat X is where we really started to get something new. But then, obviously, the time travel, like the two timelines kind of coming together in Mortal Kombat 11 did kind of undo some of that. Like, there were some interesting changes in Mortal Kombat X as a result of Mortal Kombat 9, like having... Um, revenant versions of our main heroes like Liu Kang, Katana, Kung Lao, etc., all being evil, but then good versions of them from the past came back in Mortal Kombat 11, so it just kind of undid it all. But this is is interesting, and I'm liking it, I'm liking it a lot. Um, and I do think it's doing some very good, very interesting stuff. So the next chapter starts at the Flesh Pits, and in fact there's a really nice transition between the end of the last chapter and this one, where it like focuses on, on Sindel's face, then the background changes around her, and then we see the look on her face change. I quite like that. Um, it's almost like this this game actually has some decent direction for the, for the actual cutscenes, you know, designed to make them look like a cinematic film. Um, a three hour long one, but you know, it's an attempt was made. So yeah, Sindel learns of all the horrors of the flesh pits and she gets told of Liu Kang's former role as the Keeper of Time. Um, Garrus arrives to support the story and reveals the history of Kronika and her manipulations of time and how she kept winding time back and, and restarting the timeline to keep good and evil in balance, um, which is something we saw in Mortal Kombat 11. Sindel kind of grapples with the truth of this and grapples with a lot of like existential questions like, you know, is Liu Kang her creator and, and things like that. And at this point, Shao arrives brandishing Shinnok's amulet. Now, the amulet itself was a plot point in uh, Mortal Kombat X and Mortal Kombat 11, um, but it was something that was destroyed. It shouldn't exist anymore. And, you know, Liu Kang is kind of like, you know, how did you get that? You shouldn't have that. Um, and Shao manages to use it and traps Tanya, Geras, Katana, and Mylena inside the amulet. Um, Liu and Li Mei help Sindel um, sort of fight her way past Shao, take the amulet, and fight past uh, Reiko, Rain, and Shao. And Lou reveals that, you know, they're all still alive, her daughters are still alive, and he returns the prisoners from the amulet, and they all head to Earthrealm to stop the Soul Stealers. I will say the chapters in the Flesh Pits, in the version I was watching, I, I don't know if the, the person who uploaded um, the cinematics had done this, or if this was a, uh, like a stream-friendly thing. Um, but a lot of these cutscenes were kind of very heavily edited or zoomed in to sort of avoid some of the gore, um, which is a bit of a shame. 
But yeah, I mean, that's what I get for watching it on YouTube rather than playing the game myself, I suppose. Um, so I can't really complain. But, you know, I'd, I'd pay just to watch this story mode, like just to watch it as a movie. If they released it, like they, they turned Alien Isolation into a movie a few years ago. Oh, not a movie, a, a web series. They turned the cutscenes from Alien Isolation into a web series. I still haven't seen it, but, you know, that's the sort of thing that some of these cinematic games really should do. Uh, Mortal Kombat is a really good example, uh, you know, because it can do it exactly the same. Anyway, you know, I'd rather I'd rather be able to get on DVD a cuts, you know, the cutscenes of the latest Mortal Kombat game rather than some of the actual animated movies that they are doing which are not very good, the Mortal Kombat Legends series. They're a bit muddled. But, you know, anyhow. Um, at the, the Ying Fortress, the Crown has been charged with souls, um, but they leave the Soul Stealers active. Shang Tsung puts the Crown on and heads deeper into the Fortress. This is when our heroes arrive to breach it. However, at this point, Ermac attacks, separating them. This is now Mylena's chapter. And he separates them and wounds Tanya. Mylena fights Ermac and manages to subdue him. And when she does, every time Ermac's been defeated so far in the game, so this is the third time, every time it's happened, he's kind of jumped up and like made some sort of claim and seemed to be in pain like the first time he called out for Sindel uh the second time I've forgotten who he called out for um but now basically it's revealed that in Ermac's makeup is Gerard's soul now this was something that was introduced in one of the arcade ladder endings for Ermac in Mortal Kombat 9 um so it's sort of something that's been sort of accepted in canon since then and so, yeah, Jared's soul comes to the forefront and takes control of Ermac's body and reunites with his family and friends because obviously he knew Liu Kang. He knew some of the other characters. And it it's quite sweet, quite poignant. Um, while this is happening, the soul stealers are stopped by um, Scorpion and Smoke. Um, and I think Kong Lao and Raiden and Kenshi and all the rest of them as well. Um <laughs> And so the heroes head further in to the dragon army chamber. Mylena tries to distract them by approaching the sorcerers and acting as though she sided with them. Okay. Which then allows the other heroes to sort of get in position to launch an attack. Um, Mylena manages to beat Shang Tsung, which makes him lose the crown. Liu Kang confronts Shang Tsung. And so this is when the crown sort of levitates off the ground and figures materialize around it. So Shang Tsung turns around to introduce his benefactor, who he calls Damashi. But instead, it's Shang Tsung of the previous timeline, flanked by Sindel, Geras, and a dark version of the original Raiden. So... This is the same Shang Tsung that Liu Kang battled for the fate of the hourglass. And I really like this twist <laughs> because it means that both endings of Mortal Kombat 11 are canon. 
And I really like that. <laughs> like, I do. I know the multiverse has kind of been done to death now, and, like, everyone's kind of doing a multiverse story, but this is sort of the introduction of a Mortal Kombat multiverse, and Mortal Kombat 11 had kind of teased this anyway by saying that Kronika had restarted the timeline over and over and over and over again, which kind of made every every arcade ladder ending, every alternate ending a possibility in every timeline. Because, you know, like I was saying with the 3D era games, there's some endings in that that do seem to be canon and lead into the next game, and there's some that definitely are not. Um, and that seems to be the case here. You know, and... But this makes both endings of the previous game canon in their own timeline. But now merges those two timelines together for a single story. I like that. I also like the reference to Damashi. Um, because obviously Damashi was the name that Onaga used when he was manipulating Shijinko in Mortal Kombat Deception. So I like that reference as well. And yeah, we reveal that um, a timeline was created for each of their victories. And after eons, Shang Tsung was able to learn about this timeline, about Liu Kang's timeline. And he infiltrated it in Kronika's form to restore the sorcerers, so Shang and Quan Chi, wanting them to dominate this timeline. Now... Shang Tsung and Quan Chi are quite angered at the deception, but um, Damashi, because there's two Shang Tsungs, so Damashi taunts them, destroys the crown, says it was just a tool and he doesn't really need it, and he animates the dragon army with the souls from within it, because obviously this is Shang Tsung at the height of his power. Um, you know, as a keeper of time, he has a ridiculous amount of power, so he's able to animate the entire dragon army. Um, he leaves, and his forces stay behind and attack. Mylena, who starts losing control, battles Dark Raiden. Um, the dark version of Sindel um, manages to defeat many of the other heroes in a scene that's quite reminiscent of her you know, the Sindel's fight scene from the end of Mortal Kombat 9, where she kills quite a lot of the heroes. She doesn't kill anyone this time, but, um, you know, she does fight and manage to down all of them, uh, including Jared. Um, she then uh, duels with Sindel, like the, the main time, the Liu Kang timeline Sindel, and wounds her, like fatally wounds her, like stabs her through the stomach, Mylena manages to defeat Sindel um, uncontrolled before Tanya manages to administer the serum, but Sindel is too badly wounded and she dies. As she dies, though, in the hands of Jared, the body, Ermac's body, absorbs her soul and it goes into Jared's form and keeps it safe. Okay? Which, I, yeah, it's kind of cool. I like it. Um, at this point, the heroes kind of run and flee um, with the sorcerers as well, and the dragon army starts to march. At this point, 
Shang Tsung proposes that if there are two timelines, perhaps other timelines would ex- exist with other figures who might have the power to rival the Titan Shang Tsung. Because obviously Liu Kang says he's no longer the keeper of time. He doesn't have the power to fight Titan Shang. However, Garrus reveals that he saved the power to allow Lu to become the keeper of time again to control the hourglass. However, if he does so, then he may be unable to return to his previous life as Earthrealm's protector. You know, if he becomes the keeper of time again, he might be stuck as the keeper of time forever. So um, Johnny uses a drone that Chris mentioned earlier as well, which again, another great callback. I like it um, to view the gateways that are being created by the dragon army and the dark doubles that have joined the dragon army, because obviously dark doubles of our heroes and villains from Shang Tsung's timeline are part of his army, including Shao, Scorpion, Smoke, Mylena, Tanya, Pretty much everyone, every combatant in the game. So they realize they have to stop the gateways um, because the gateways will allow um, the dragon army to invade the different realms in this timeline. So the heroes and the sorcerers attack because obviously Shang Tsung and Quan Chi have teamed up with the heroes. Um... And the sorcerers join up with Raiden to try and disrupt the gateways. Shang Tsung manages to defeat Dark Shao, who is powering the gateways. And when he does so, he absorbs Dark Shao's soul. Which traps the dragon army in Earthrealm. Liu Kang reclaims his powers and begins to manipulate the hourglass. As he's manipulating it, he brings Kitana from another timeline. Now, this Kitana is also a Keeper of Time, and it's the Kitana he was in love with, the Kitana from his timeline. So they have like quite this nice, tearful reunion, and they basically start to search for more allies. And they bring forward uh, a Titan version of Kung Lao and a Titan version of God Raiden. Uh, at this point, Titan Shang arrives with some more of his allies. Shang tries to seize the hourglass while Lu and Kitana battle his dark counterparts. However, Lu is being weakened by the sands being removed from the hourglass because Shang Tsung is trying to wind it back. So the Titans and Garrus uh, manage to battle Shang Tsung for control of the hourglass and defeated for now he flees to gather some allies of his own because obviously seeing katana raiden and kung lao has confirmed to him that there are other timelines out there you know and if they could get the power of chronica so could anyone so what this does as well is it now kind of makes every arcade ladder ending from mortal kombat 11 canon as well because the arcade ladder of mortal kombat 11 featured every character getting control of the hourglass, including all the guest characters like Joker, Terminator, Robocop, Spawn. You know, they all gain the power of the hourglass. And so that's what's happening here. You know, they even allude to it. They say, you know, in one timeline, K-1 
Kano could have the power of the hourglass and become the keeper of time. So, you know, it's interesting and I like it. Um, so, yeah, Shao Kahn, uh, Shao Kahn, Shang Tsung goes to gather his own allies. Liu Kang goes to gather his own allies. And then at this point, forces from every single timeline with light counterparts of every combatant and dark counterparts of every combatant, a new battle of Armageddon begins at the Pyramid of Argus in Shang Tsung's timeline. And, yeah, Shang Tsung just unleashes his forces. He's allied with a Titan version of Quan Chi. There's Liu Kang. There's... Oh... It's quite cool. And this chapter does something very different that hasn't been done before in any of the story modes because it gives you the option to choose your fighter at the start of this chapter. And you choose your fighter and you can choose any of the main fighters in the game, which suggests as well that you may even be able to play as the DLC characters in this chapter as well. So if that's the case, they've already announced that Combat Pack 1 for this game will include uh, not just Ermac, Quan Chi, and Takeda from Mortal Kombat X, but also Omni-Man from Invincible, Homelander from The Boys, and Peacemaker from the DCEU. So you could potentially play this final chapter of the story mode of the game using Omni-Man or Homelander, or Peacemaker, or whatever other crazy guest DLC characters they include later on. And if that's the case, that's really cool. <laughs> that is that is really cool. That's doing something quite unique and quite different. But also, as the character battles, basically the character, whoever you pick, whichever combatant you pick, runs up the Pyramid of Argus and fights in a melee with all the dark versions. And, you know, in doing so, they fight... You fight nine battles, and they're single-round battles, but they are against random characters, including amalgamated combatants. Like, the version I saw, there was a, a Scorp Lao, who was a mixture of Scorpion and Kung Lao, there was um, a female reptile. There was uh, a ninja mine version of Johnny Cage. There was... Um... Oh, what was it? Uh... Yeah. There was a few. And I've seen, I've seen there's way more. There's like a whole... Basically, there's combinations of any characters, alternate versions of characters... Uh, yeah it just looks nuts and crazy and i kind of love it <laughs> um and i love the possibility of it but yeah no matter who you pick and what no matter who you end up fighting uh your combatant makes it ways makes their way to the top of the pyramid and joins up with lu kang against titan shang chi and titan uh quan chi Titan Shang Chi, Titan Shang Tsung, and Titan Quan Chi. Um, Titan Quan Chi manages to subdue Liu Kang, and the combatants fight both of the Titans, the Titan Deadly Alliance, alone, and they manage to succeed. Liu Kang removes Titan Shang Tsung and Titan Quan Chi from history, 
but doing that causes the collapse of this dark timeline, which leads all the combatants to return to their own timeline. Okay? And this is where we get the aftermath. Now, there is... Um, the main epilogue for the game, and then there's some more, which I'll come to. Uh, in the main epilogue, it turns out Johnny is planning to direct a film based on the final battle of Armageddon, and he's been like scouting locations for Outworld, which he shows to all the others. He's also suggesting that you know he he made a reference earlier on to a cinematic universe, so it's it's possible that he's doing that. Uh, Kenshi, meanwhile, is restoring the Tyra clan um, and managing to free them from the Yakuza. And Raiden and Lao, Kung, Raiden and Kung Lao, are getting ready to teach the new influx of students at the Wuxi Academy. Mylena, meanwhile, we don't see them. This is all revealed in the conversation. But we, we learn that Mylena is ruling Outworld and she's being aided by Katana and Jared. Um, Shao, uh, General Shao, Quan Chi, and Shang Tsung are all imprisoned. Um, but at the same time, Bi Han and his Lin Kuei have gone rogue. So uh, Kuai Liang and Smoke are forming the Shirai Ryu to stand in Earthrealm's defense. So, yeah, that's pretty interesting. And Liu Kang kind of leaves and says Earthrealm is in good hands, you know, leaving his four students. And then we cut back to the Pyramid of Argus and a version of Havoc. And this one doesn't seem to be the Dairu version of Havoc. This seems to be the more classic Havoc. So it's Lord Havoc. So suggesting that this is the Titan version of Havoc as well, where he's the Keeper of Time. He surveys the carnage from the battle, saying that, you know, had he not been part of it, he wouldn't believe it could have existed. And he is planning to cause it to repeat purely for the chaos of it. And, you know, he's flanked by some amalgamated versions of characters, like there's a Quan Chi with um, Sub-Zero's abilities, and a Kenshi with Kano's abilities, and all sorts of things like that. So, yeah, some interesting ideas here. And yeah, that's the end of the main story mode. So there's going to be more. We know there's going to be more. So, you know, there's going to be... Apparently there are rumours that a story expansion is coming. But that's not all that we get for story. Because, yeah, as good as the main story mode is, and it is good, I did really enjoy it. I enjoyed watching it. I enjoyed seeing everything that was going on, seeing some of the twists, the fact that it ended in a battle of Armageddon at the Pyramid of Argus. There were all these callbacks to things throughout the series. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> and I thought the writing was a lot more consistent in this timeline than we'd had in the Netherrealm trilogy. So hopefully that continues because, yeah, there's there's some gaps in narrative between the three games in the previous uh, timeline, like how Sindel is presented in uh, Mortal Kombat 9 versus how she's presented in Aftermath, for example, is very, very different. So, 
you know, to the point that that version was called Twindell by the fandom because they didn't, you know, agree that it was the same version of the character. But yeah, there's there's definitely possibilities of something very interesting coming up. But yeah, as good as the main story mode is, and as much as good of a, a cliffhanger that we have for any potential story expansion, and I think I think after aftermath, I think it's highly likely that we're going to get a story expansion, which is one reason why I haven't purchased the game yet as well, because Mortal Kombat since Mortal Kombat 9 even has had a habit of releasing a lot of DLC. Mortal Kombat 9 actually gets the least, but Mortal Kombat X and Mortal Kombat uh, 11 especially got quite a lot of DLC. Um, So combat packs of extra fighters, and in the case of Mortal Kombat 11, there was also the full Aftermath expansion. And so I'm going to wait about a year (laughs) until all the DLC is out. And that is when I will purchase Mortal Kombat 1 um, so that I can get that complete version for a better price. Because I know there's going to be a story expansion. I know there's probably going to be more fighters. Some of this has already been leaked. You know, the the game's been data mined to hell and back already. Um, because obviously some things, like, for example, Megan Fox voices Natara in this. Um, she doesn't do too bad a job, to be fair. A bit wooden and a bit flat in some aspects, but uh, not too bad. I haven't seen her in gameplay. She doesn't have much of a role in the story mode. So, And obviously, you know, there, there's clashes in the gameplay where the characters can exchange um discussions there's also the three lines at the start of each battle where discussions can be had so you know there's plenty of places where her performance could be weaker elsewhere but from what i've seen it's not too bad however the game has two other things it has an invasion mode and the arcade mode now in the arcade mode each of the arcade endings from the from the arcade ladder seems to act as an epilogue to the main story mode and there are some quite interesting things in there so for example um reiko manages to free shao from prison um and shao starts reforming an army um and they manage to have find plenty of new recruits including all of those who have been abandoned um by the main regime you know despite the fact that outworld was supposedly in a golden age under sindel um there's plenty who feel willing to turn on mylena now um however they suffer a defeat at the hands of kitana who has been put in charge of the military and this then seems to lead to a plan to free the trapped onaga who was uh, trapped by an ancestor of shao's to use him as a weapon against the royal family. And so Reiko heads into the cave where Onaga is trapped to fight him and subdue him, um, vowing to die if he must to tame the beast. Um, so that's intriguing. Um, Liu Kang, we reveal, um, while well, he can't go back to being Earthrealm's protector, more than that, he's also losing his immortality. He's still going to live for possibly millennia, but he must choose a successor. And he decides to name Geras as a successor. 
So Garrus is now able to view all of the timelines together and is able to monitor them all to prevent um, you know, such a battle happening again. Um, you know, he's able to see all the timelines now because obviously once they've crossed over, they're still connected. Um, Johnny, it was revealed that Liu Kang recruited him specifically to build a cinematic universe to show the truth of the realms to the world slowly. Um, this was actually alluded to in the story mode itself when um, they first arrive in Outworld. Lee May comments about how you know, the people of Earthrealm don't know about Outworld and don't know about the tournament, you know, and, and Liu Kang kind of says, yeah, that's not something I've revealed. So, yeah, the idea of Johnny kind of introducing it through fiction, through his connections, it's an interesting idea. Kung Lao and Raiden, we see training new recruits. One of the new recruits is Shujinku. And uh, Kung Lao tries to train Shujinko himself, but Kung Lao's um, lack of humility cause, allows Shujinko's ego to foster because Shujinko is able to steal powers and abilities. And so that then turns him into a threat. Um, and so the heroes have to take him down. And they manage to subdue him and remove his memories and powers which allows them to retrain him together. And this is where Kung Lao says that he wants Raiden to now help him train Shujinko. Um, so obviously he's been humbled by the experience. Um, Raiden, meanwhile, has obviously now learned of the previous timelines Raiden and is kind of curious as to why he's been reborn in the way he has. And he starts to... He, he learned about the previous time... The previous Ra Raiden's rage... So the sort of dark Raiden that we got um, at the start of Mortal Kombat 11 and obviously in the timeline before that as well. Um, and so he starts to train that rage with Scorpion because he figures that, you know, maybe one day he might need it. Uh, Shang Tsung manages to escape prison as well, uh, goes off in a ship um, and gets trapped in a shipwreck. He almost dies, but washes up on an island, uh, very similar to his island in the previous timeline, because it has the Well of Souls, and he vows to learn how to control it and how to use it himself. And obviously, that is Shang Tsung's island um, from the previous timeline. So, yeah, that's nice, interesting sequel bait. Shang Tsung usually gets some quite good endings <laughs> when he appears in story mode. Um, and yeah, that's a good one. Baraka um, wants to increase visibility for the Tarkatans. So he uses a connection with Sizoth to get Mylena to come and see them. And Mylena, inspired by the suffering of the Tarkatans and how how they've been treated, sees it as like their treatment as like Sindel's only mistake. And it causes her to reveal herself as being afflicted by Tarkat. And obviously that causes a scandal, but with the help of her sister and her father, she manages to, um, to weather the storm over it. And 
it actually gets not only Mylena more respect, but also the Tarkatans more respect, which obviously pleases Baraka because his people are no longer pariahs and he seems to stand for for them. Um, Baraka in this used to be a merchant. He was like an Adenian merchant and he lost his family to to Tarkat. Um, I like it. I like what they've done with the Tarkatans in this. It's very interesting. Um, I'm not sure about the timing maybe of it being a virus with things like COVID recently, but I don't know, maybe that was what inspired it. Um, Lee May gets put in charge of, like, all the police um, by Melina, but gets overwhelmed by the role and resigns and returns to her previous role as first constable for the city of Sundo. Um, Nitara gets blamed by the Viternans. Viternans? Viternus is her realm, so the vampires, anyway. She gets blamed by the vampires for the sorceress's failure because she was the one that um, spoke on their behalf to her people. And, you know, the the weak Viternus is now a weaker realm as a result. Um, but she plots to capture slaves to breed for food. And she says, we only, we only need a few thousand so, you know, there are billions in these realms. We only need to abduct a few. So that's quite interesting. Um, Rain, um, obviously on the run in the aftermath, um, sort of comes to havoc. And, you know, sort of offers his help. Um and so Havoc takes him to Sado, where Rain unleashes, like, all of his power and causes this massive tidal wave in the city that, you know, kills thousands and topples the government and creates the exact anarchy that Havoc sought. But in the aftermath, Rain regrets it and surrenders himself to Mylena so that he can be put in prison so that he can start to atone for his crimes. Um, Sizoth gets made Mylena's emissary to the Zaterans. The Zaterans kind of keep Sizoth reveals in the story mode that they kind of keep themselves separate, um, and so that he kind of left them because he was a bit of an outcast, being a shapeshifter. They welcomed his return, but he soon learns from like an ancient document that shifters like him, that more of them exist, but they are killed. Um, they're killed off by the other Zaterans. So he vows to investigate this and stop it. So, you know, that's a nifty little hook. I'm not sure how much it will get developed in the future, but I do quite like it. Um, I mean, not every one of these, you know, arcade ladders, I think, will get elaborated on, but they're nifty little bits for the characters in some cases. In some cases, they're just nice epilogues like Lee Mays. But that one with Sizoth, I mean, that could be developed somewhere in the future um sindel is obviously dead um her soul inside ermac joins with gerard and fights uh, all of the other souls inside to maintain dominance inside ermac's body because obviously there are thousands of souls inside ermac so for gerard and sindel to sort of remain in control they have to fight the others um which is interesting. I do quite like that as a twist. Um, 
and obviously i think it's good that that is her ending because obviously her death only happens in story mode if you play as arcade ladder you fight the end boss of the arcade ladder which is shang sung titan shang sung as sindel so you know she's not dead in the arcade mode but she is in this yeah that's kind of cool um Kuai Liang, on the run from the Lin Kuei, seeks help from a friend of the family. The friend of the family is Harumi Shirai. Um, Harumi is, in the previous timeline, she was Hanzo Hasashi's wife, who was obviously killed by uh, Quan Chi. The death was blamed on uh, Sub-Zero, which is obviously what led uh, Hanzo to become Scorpion. And essentially, she joins she joins Kawhi Liang and Smoke, and Kawhi names the Shirai Ryu for her after they marry. And I thought that was kind of cool. Um, Smoke is still by his side, and they take a young initiate, and the, the initiate they take is a teenaged Hanzo Hasashi. Um, because, yeah, Hanzo has been reborn as a young man, and you know, he's the first initiate they see with any sort of skill and power, but he was kind of desperate. He tried to rob Smoke. Um, Bihan, meanwhile, advised by Sector, begins building a robotic army to bolster the forces of the Lin Kuei. Um, he was inspired by the Dragon Army, but he didn't want to use magic because he's trying to avoid Liu Kang and sort of stay hidden. So Sector says, well, let's do it with science. So obviously we're getting the the sort of the origins of the Cyberling Quay in this timeline. Uh, Ashra, meanwhile, joins the Wuxi Academy, but you know it, she's sort of happy in Earth Realm, but she vows to save her sister Serena and to free her in the same way. The Quan Chi's other assistants, Kia and Jataka, um, she mentions in the story mode that she's already killed them because they they came after her. Quan Chi sent them after her first. So, but she vows to save Serena, and she does. And together they form the Order of Light, which I quite liked. I thought that was a nifty ending. And I like Ashra as a character. I always kind of liked Ashra. I thought she was a a, a character with a lot of promise, and I think they've done a good job with her here. Um. Kenshi, meanwhile, gets um, aided by Jax, who in this timeline, Jax is an FBI agent who recruits Kenshi to help him stop the Yakuza. Um, they clash with Shang Tsung, though, because Shang Tsung arrives to try and claim Sento, um, which obviously the clash with Shang Tsung then reveals the truth of Johnny's movies to Jax, which Jax then reveals to his bosses at the FBI, which leads to the formation of the Outworld Investigation Agency. So Jax and Kenshi become the first two members of that. So, you know, I will say the Special Forces characters are kind of missing in this. Like, they're... Uh, so, uh, Special Forces, so Sonya, Jax, and then obviously the adjacent characters like Kano, they appear in the cameos as cameo fighters, but they're not in the story mode in any way. Um... And obviously we get Johnny, but we don't get Sonya. And I think that's a bit of a shame, because I do like Sonya. Um, 
And then finally, um, Tanya, now having met and encountered Lee May, um, realizes that this Lee May is so too duty bound um, to be responsible for Gerard's murder. And so she learns that the Umgadi matron had actually made Lee May the scapegoat as a result of her own failures. And exposing this, Tanya is then made um, leader of the Umgadi by Mylena. And they do actually hint as well that Mylena and Tanya are actually in a relationship in this as well, which I find lovely um, because this seems like the most genuine relationship they've had. Like they've, they've had a relationship for a while now in different games, but obviously with Tanya's tendency for betrayal, um, although saying that in Mortal Kombat X, Mylena seemed to be the only person she actually seemed to care about. Um, but, you know, given her tendency for betrayal, it's quite nice that this version of Tanya is quite forthright and genuinely seems to care about Mylena. So yeah, every character gets something in their ending, and obviously quite a few of them kind of tie together. So yeah, that's Mortal Kombat 1's story mode uh, and the arcade mode. There is one other thing, though, which is the invasion mode, and... The invasion mode seems like it's going to be set up for seasons. Um, season one features an invasion by Scorpion, specifically the Hanzo Hasashi version of Scorpion, who is coming to this timeline seeking uh, Harumi um, and trying to, you know, essentially he wants his wife back. And there is a story mode ending for that, an ending cutscene, which I have seen. I don't know how... Um, you know, I don't want to go into that because I don't know how the invasion mode works, so I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who's currently playing it. Um, but, yeah, it's it's interesting, and it, it seems to be expanding the idea of the, the more multiple timelines. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of promise here. To, to really do something different with Mortal Kombat. And the fact that Johnny's cinematic universe seems to suggest streaming series and films and video games, and obviously we know we're getting another Mortal Kombat film, we know we're probably going to get... Um, you know, more Mortal Kombat games, you know, could we get a more connected Mortal Kombat universe, perhaps? Who knows? But yeah, I think there's a lot of promise here for something good, and I think it's it's fun, and I think and it, it seems to be really trying to do something good and unique. So, yeah, more of this, please. I think this is a really good iteration of Mortal Kombat. I'm very pleasantly surprised by it. And I love that they've brought back so many old characters and done new things with them. Which was just... It, that's what I've been wanting for the past, like, ten years. <laughs> so, yeah... 
it's good stuff. And the cameos allow them to keep building this roster and have this large roster where you can have many characters appear. And, like, the story mode uses some of the main fighters as cameo fighters. So does that mean that in the future we could expand it so that all the current roster of cameo fighters could also become mainline fighters as well? Because that could be really interesting. You know, because they've got moves in the game. They've got motion capture in the game. They've got voice artists in the game. And if we're now able to translate that so that we could get Darius, Serena, Frost, Cyrax, Sector, Jax, Kano, Sonya... Uh, Motaro, Goro, and have them become main fighters again. On top of all the fighters that we already have, on top of all the fighters that we're going to be getting, that could be really interesting. So, I don't know whether that's possible, <laughs> and it would be a lot of work, but I'd, I'd, I'd pay good money for that. <laughs> so... So yeah, Mortal Kombat 1, um, if you've played it, if you've played the story, if you enjoy the lore of this series as much as I do, what did you think about it? Um, please let me know, and until next time, look after yourselves, look after your physical and mental well-being as best as you can, and I will see you in the next review. Thank you my friends for once again joining me on Gardo Goes Geek. Your continued support for this podcast means the absolute world to me and I am grateful for every single one of you who stays and listens to one of my episodes. It means the absolute world. Now if you would like to engage more with me or the podcast we have a discord community small but growing and and we now have commissions open on Ko-Fi. So if there's a topic you would like to see me cover, you can pay me to cover it. All funds will be used for legal purchase of the relevant items where I do not have them. Have a look on the link tree for more information. Until next time, look after yourselves.